0: You have to reach out to your SBA office. If you're thinking about starting a small business, if you're established as a small business and you have not reached out to your SBA and sat down and started developing a relationship with them, that needs to be pushed high to your to-do list. It really does. You have to get in contact with them. Amazing resources. But then, then you have all of the corporations that have their small business development programs.
1: Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity, with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insights into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore. Well, this is usually where I say I'm with Chloe, but today we're doing a little bit differently. It's just me today. So what are we going to talk about? Today, we're going to talk about jargon, the lingo. How is the language of supplier diversity used? And there is a plethora of buzzwords, you know, industry terminology, that get thrown in and around conversations about supplier diversity. And they can be a bit overwhelming to try to understand if you are new to the field. The fact is we're committed to inclusion, but sometimes the use of language, it can exclude people from participating. And even if you're a seasoned supplier diversity veteran, it's always important to stay up to date on emerging terms in our field. So why don't you and I sit down and demystify some old and newer supplier diversity terms and explain their meanings? So, you know, one of the words or terms um, that Chloe and I use all the time on this show is ESG. I know you guys have heard us talk about ESG. We've even had some episodes on ESG. And You might still be wondering to yourself, I really just don't even know what ESG is still. So quickly, ESG, think of it as a shorthand term, right? It's a quick, easy way to refer to a broad scope of topics in and around inclusion environmental, um, some different governance, social awareness, that type of thing. So it's it's a company's program or programs that it is using in its various outreach efforts to do several very good things, whether that is inclusion through a supplier diversity program, through reaching out to a community in various ways, uh, trying to reduce their carbon footprint ESG is as different as there are firms trying to do the right thing right now, right? So we use ESG as kind of that summary placeholder, if you will, to summarize all of these things. And, you know, ESG is a huge topic, not minimalizing it at all on this episode. But we have had prior episodes. Please go back and listen to them. We've actually brought in some experts that really dove deep into this subject. So let's just say ESG for the term of for the use of today is for. A placeholder for us to kind of summarize a concept of what a company is doing in the way of its economic, social, and governance outreach and programs. Another term that we use often on this show, right? We've been here for a little over two years now, and we talk about supplier diversity. But sometimes people who are brand new just don't even know what that means. I remember being a brand new supplier diversity manager and having to define what is supplier diversity, Again, it's another one of those terms that we use sometimes in a summary fashion to describe the work that we're doing in our outreach to what would be considered traditionally diverse businesses and firms, right? So everything that you guys, the word diversity conjures up in your mind. Yes, those are the individuals, the business owners that we're looking to outreach to in supplier diversity to provide goods and services to whatever firm. It is uh, that we're representing. And again, supplier diversity is one of those things that could be just as diverse as the company that's putting the program together, which really kind of makes it an exciting field to be in. Then there is diverse suppliers. Again, a term that we use kind of just as, again, another placeholder. And I think that's what you're going to find as we kind of go through some of these terms is. A lot of these are placeholders, right? It's, it's a quick term that we're using to summarize a, a concept that's much broader than just the word itself. So diverse suppliers is traditionally any business owned by what we consider a traditionally diverse firm. Again, whatever diversity, when I say that word, brings up in your mind, yes, those are the individuals that we're speaking of. And it has to be owned by 51% of a diverse persons. Now, here's the interesting thing. And we're actually going to do an episode on ownership uh, and kind of the pros and cons of that model. I have spoken at many conferences about this, the importance of ownership, uh, some of the pitfalls of, of using that. But really, as long as the upper management, the ownership owns over 51 percent of the voting rights or stocks, and they are a, a diverse person as defined by the U.S. government, we have to use the federal standard. Um, that is considered a diverse business. And there are many different certifications that are recognized by corporate America for these types of businesses. So diverse suppliers is really a blanket term that we use to describe every firm that falls into this category. Another one that you're going to start hearing a lot about is inclusive procurement. And I love this. So we just talked about supplier diversity, what does that mean? Uh, You've heard Chloe and I talk about being supplier diversity managers, managing these different programs and that type of thing. But now we're starting to use inclusive procurement. Inclusive procurement is an idea where we are moving away from saying supplier diversity and and using inclusive procurement because what we're doing is we are working with our buyers, so our business representatives, our strategic sourcing arms, however, that might be set up in your organization, and trying to have more and more projects go out to be bid and not depend on the same repeat providers that maybe we have in the past. Try to be more inclusive. So inclusive procurement has a denotation of intentionality behind it. Right. Oftentimes I, I talk about what makes up a good supplier diversity department and what does that look like? And, and my kind of back of the envelope math is, you know, if you are just doing business and you're just buying things to help out your uh, firm, right, you're, you're the, one of the supplier managers, you're probably doing two, three, maybe four percent diverse spent just in your day to day transactions. Inclusive procurement, though, says we're going to take that a step further. We're going to take a supplier diversity a step further, and we're going to be intentional about our outreach to diverse suppliers. We're going to be intentional about how we run RFP or bidding projects in our sourcing departments to make sure that diverse businesses are represented and are at the table. So inclusive procurement as kind of a short, uh, you know, just a way to think about it, is intentionality behind the program, behind the sourcing process, right, to reach out to these diverse businesses. And another term you hear a lot in our space is SBA, the Small Business Administration. And I know when I was working in and running departments, you'd often have a supplier come to you and go, well, I'm, I'm SBA certified, and I have to kind of help them out and, under, and let them understand. It's like SBA is not a certification. It is a qualification, right? You can earn a, a SBA qualification to your business, meaning that the government recognizes you as a small business. So there's different rules, both from an accounting and tax perspective, that govern the way that you run your business. But not all small businesses are diverse, and not all diverse businesses are small. Sometimes, unfortunately, in the sourcing world, they hear diverse business and they automatically think, oh, this must be small. This diverse business must be a very small firm, you know, running under so many people, possibly on a kitchen table, that type of thing. And and, and there's kind of a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, the risk that we're going to incur bringing in a small business. That's not true. I know several very large, very large diverse businesses uh, and I know of some very, very small, non-diverse businesses. So SBA is a designation, not a certification. SBA actually refers to the administration itself and how they go about classifying a business for governmental purposes. So SBA, not a certification, a designation. Set-asides. Oh, this is a great one. And you'll hear us talk about this. You'll hear some of our guests talk about this. Set-asides are normally seen in the governmental space and governmental contracting, Uh, and a set-aside is where when a project goes out for bidding, it is designated to be only for diverse and small businesses are the only people that can bid on these projects, right? It kind of is – not kind of, it is a way of – building businesses and helping support them and give them a, a way to start, right? It's, it's one thing to start a business. It's another thing to get business, right? So set-asides help small and diverse businesses have a niche that they can compete in and not have to go up the big against the big traditional multinational firms or even big national firms, right? So it's a great way of doing that. And even in governmental contracts, you'll see In what we would call a non-set-aside contract, which means it's not precluding anybody, there will be a set-aside portion. Meaning if you, Mr. National International Firm, win this bid, there is a portion of this contract that we expect for you to award to diverse providers as subcontractors. So you can actually have a set-aside inside a standard uh, bidding project. And what's interesting is as we have moved on and and seen things change a little bit and mature, I'm actually seeing privatized business start using set-asides. It's not prevalent. Uh, I would not say there's much out there, but it's interesting to start seeing it creep in to the private sector and that they are seeing the great response and the benefit to having certain projects be targeted – towards this community of business owners to help them develop their businesses. And it's a great thing. And to help a business develop its business is amazing. And that kind of leads us in to our next program, right? What a business development program. And typically, it's a program by the SBA to help small disadvantaged businesses compete in the marketplace. Business development programs have developed quite a bit from that, right? The SBA is still kind of the gold standard, if you will, on how to run a business development program. They have a lot of great stuff out there. Again, we had an episode that we interviewed the SBA here in the Atlanta area where Chloe and I both live. It it was fantastic. I've been in this space for a very long time. I was learning things From them and resources that they had that I had no idea about. Honestly, you have to reach out to your SBA office. If you're thinking about starting a small business, if you're established as a small business and you have not reached out to your SBA and sat down and started developing a relationship with them, that needs to be pushed high to your to-do list. It really does. You have to get in contact with them. Amazing resources. But then- Then you have all of the corporations that have their small business development programs. These are amazing. And these can be anywhere from something that might feel like a seminar or a conference to actually like structured classroom activities with syllabi and and texts and projects and these type of things. And these aren't just cheesy little feel-good programs. These things have some real meat to them, guys. I'm telling you. It is a wonderful way to help you develop maybe some of those soft skills, blind spots that you have as a leader and help develop them, help you see them differently, help you feel comfortable in the conversations. Uh, One of the things that I'm always talking about when I'm mentoring uh, businesses is where are you weak, right? As leaders, we have to identify that. Where are you weak? And, And there are programs out there. And here's the best part. For diverse businesses, they're usually free. It's a free education taught by very knowledgeable people, and you start developing relationships with these businesses. It's an amazing, amazing thing to be part of. I cannot recommend it uh, enough for these different business development programs. The next term I want to go over, and this one's kind of near and dear to my heart, to be honest with you, and it's tier two. Tier two is... An interesting term. And you have to be careful about who you use it with. So in my career, I spend a lot of time in the supplier diversity and the contingent labor space, right? So contingent labor, staff hog, professional services. If you walk into a vendor management office and you say, hey, I want to talk to you about my tier two program as a supplier diversity manager, they're going to sit there and want to know why you want to know about their contracting structure. Because to a vendor management officer – the tier two is their second tier of providers. You have a tier one. These are their kind of prime preferred providers that if they can't fill a requisition, then goes through their tier two. And then same thing, it could go to the tier three, possibly a tier four, depending on the size of the program. So they're going to sit there and go, well, I, I don't need any help with my tier two. I've got a tier two program established. And you're going to sit there and go, I don't think, I don't understand what's what's going on. We have to make sure that when we're talking to people, especially, again, like I said, in the contingent labor space, tier two is subcontracting. If you were to walk into your vendor management office and go, hey, I need to talk to you about subcontracting and how we need to report it back for diverse spend, they'll get that. We call it tier two in the supplier diversity circles, right? And that can sometimes be – it's a wildly different conversation. So you really have to know your audience, who you're talking to, and and find out how they define tier two. And I would often sometimes start a conversation with one of my new managers and say, when I talk about tier two, where where does your mind go on that? And they would more likely say, oh, contracting structures and that type of thing. And I would just say, great, when I'm talking tier two, I'm going to talk to you more about subcontracting opportunities. That would then help initiate the conversation. So tier two is a wonderful practice. Again, episodes on that too. So go find those as well too. Supplier Relationship Management, SRM. This is very critical, especially in today's day and age, as we see more and more emphasis being put on risk assessment, third-party risk, onboarding risk, all these different things that we're looking at. Because, To be honest with you, in corporate America, the number one risk to any business is bringing on a brand-new supplier or a brand-new product. So a lot of attention is put on this. Your, your supplier relationship management or supplier relationship manager is that person that helps manage these relationships with our various suppliers. They are different from the business owners. They are different from your sourcing contacts. They are different from your supplier diversity leads. Uh, I think a lot of times in our space – as a diverse supplier, the relationship usually starts with the supplier diversity manager, maybe through a conference, maybe through a one-on-one some of the different uh, meet and greets that are out there. And they kind of are looked at as the supplier relationship manager. And then there's a little bit of shock that once a supplier gets onboarded, they never talk to the supplier diversity manager again, right? It's kind of like they're on a different part of the Island and you can't get back to them. That's because in honesty, they've been replaced, if you will, with the supplier relationship manager. And this is the person that you're going to interface with for the duration of your time with whatever company you're working with. And they're going to be responsible for making sure that all of your risk assessments are done uh, if there's any mitigations that need to happen that they're handled, they're going to be the ones to check in with you, do your quarterly uh, reviews. Uh, they'll talk to the business. They're going to be the one to kind of give you your evaluation, if you will, on how you're doing inside of the company. And they'll they'll talk to a lot of different folks uh, about how you're doing and, and, and what you're doing. So your supplier relationship manager is really going to be your liaison once you're on board with a firm. And then you're going to hear us talk a lot about diverse spend. And we have talked about this topic a ton on this show. And it's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, There's so many different schools of thought in here. But diverse spend, in a nutshell, is the amount of money that we're spending with our diverse suppliers. Now, a lot goes into that statement. Again, this is one of those kind of high reaching statements that can have a ton of different connotations but at the core at the core when we talk about diverse spend it is what are we spending with diverse suppliers sometimes compared to what are we spending overall and what are we spending with non-diverse suppliers it's a it's a way for us to measure how we're doing and sometimes it's not the best measure but it's a good one right? Because diverse spend has a lot of impact behind it, right? And and we've talked quite a bit on this show on economic impact and the different ways it just helps with generational wealth and wealth gap issues. So diverse spend, when you hear that term, just think about the money that we're spending with diverse suppliers. And then direct spend and indirect spend. This one really can get some people confused. So let's take a minute here. Direct spend is actually the procurement of goods and services that directly incorporate into the product or service that a company sells. Okay. Simple. If we are manufacturing a car and we buy tires to put on our car, that is a direct spend. It is a good that directly is incorporated into the product or service. Indirect spend is a procurement of goods and services necessary for a company's operations, but do not, Incorporate into the product or service the company sells. Think about your facilities maintenance. Think about your HR. So direct spend directly impacts product or service being provided. Indirect spend does not directly affect the product or service being provided by the firm that you're working for. And this is very different. You have to understand how your product or service that you're trying to sell to the firm that you're courting fits in to their overall structure. And you've heard Chloe and I talk about that quite a bit, As you need to understand the business that you're courting and how do you fit into them? Because then you need to know, am I talking to the right manager? Am I talking to the indirect manager? Am I talking to the direct manager? Because usually those are divided between two different people, depending on the size of the department, because the contracting, the relationships, the key performance indicators are going to be different. Depending on the type of product or service. So, very, very key to keep your eye on. And then there is certification. We talk about this all the time. And what is a certification? A certification, kind of used in everyday supplier diversity talk, is referring to any certification that is held by a nationally recognized certification agency. I want you to think about NMSDC, WeBank. US PAC, Novoba, NGLCC, and I know I'm forgetting some others, so please forgive me because there's a bunch of different organizations that do great work in certifying companies. But there's also certifications that can happen on the local and state level too. And there are different certifications that can happen depending on the industry in which you are working. So certification, we have to be careful about what we're talking about and kind of dig into it. They say, hi, I'm a certified diverse supplier. More than likely, what they're saying is they hold a nationally recognized certification. If you just hear that maybe they're certified, that could be that they have a specific certification inside the industry in which they work. So we have to be careful with the word certification and really understand from what lens this person is referring to in the conversation with you. So. As we're kind of coming to the end of this episode, let's just kind of talk about organizations. I talked about it really quickly, but let's just talk about a few different organizations that maybe you're not familiar with that you'll hear. Uh, One of them is the BDR, the Billion Dollar Roundtable. Now, this is an organization that is part of the NMSDC, and the Billion Dollar Roundtable is comprised of Corporations that spend a billion dollars, a billion dollars or more with diverse suppliers. So if you think about who might be sitting at that table, yes, it's all the big corporations that you can think of, right? And they sit down and as a group of corporations, they try to understand and work with each other on how can they, with their kind of – um Mass, right? Because they spend a lot of money with diverse suppliers. How can they help turn the tide? How can they help change the conversation? You know, how can they lean in a little bit more to help directly affect the way that we do supplier diversity? Then you're going to also hear things like affiliate councils. Affiliate councils, quite simply, is if we take our NMSDC model, and again, live here in Georgia, so I have the GMSDC, the Georgia state, the Georgia's version of the NMSDC. And that is an affiliate council. They are a, think of them as a local chapter, right? And they do programming directed for diverse suppliers and supplier diversity managers and firms working, wishing to do business with diverse suppliers. They are loosely governed by the national organization, uh, but they are really the boots on the ground, right? So your affiliate councils, when you kind of get your certification, they may be your first, they may be your portal to the certification, But really, day in, day out, you're going to be doing your most interacting with the affiliate councils. Every now and again, the national level, definitely the national level if you go to one of the big conferences. But again, day in, day out, it's going to be the affiliate councils uh, that you're going to work with. So I really get to know them and just really get ingrained. Corporate member is another thing you're going to hear. And really what that's referring to is corporations who have joined the national organizations and they are considered corporate members. And that gives them certain rights to different things, different databases, uh, the ability to interface and and have these more spotlight one-on-ones with diverse suppliers and, and folks that can really supply their particular needs and in their industries. So a corporate member is somebody who has joined a national organization. And then, like I said, we've, we've talked about some of the different Groups that are out there, we have talked about the NMSDC, the WeBank, the the NGLCCs, but there are a few others that are probably a little less known. Let's just kind of talk about them. You heard me say one of them is Navoba, uh, which is the National Veteran Owned Business Association. There's also the Disabled Veterans Business Alliance, which are both fantastic organizations geared towards our veteran-owned businesses. So men and women who have served this country have decided to set up their own business and they can receive these certifications. And it's just another way of helping a, a disadvantaged business make it, right, to, to be built up to do business with you. So if you guys have different veteran outreach programs, this is a great way to go, great organizations to, to know about But that's kind of our quick primer on some of the lingo we use. I know I missed a ton. These were just kind of some of the key ones I think we use a lot on this show and really wanted to put together this little educational snippet for you guys so that you would have something to come back to in reference. There were a ton that I missed. I know if you have any questions, maybe you heard a term that I didn't cover. Maybe I should have used a term that you think I should have covered. Leave us some comments you know, let us know what should we have talked about. Do we need to go deeper on a different uh, different one? is there's a term out there that you've never heard about? But we really appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you guys listening to me. I mean, I know I'm not as interesting without Chloe here in studio with me. So thank you guys for being with me today. Thank you for listening, and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Goodry Reed and at Adam A Moore. And if you enjoyed this episode. I've referenced them in this show. Please go back, listen to us other episodes. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast, and be sure to leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.